DiscerningHearts.com presents The School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is a professor of spiritual theology and serves as a spiritual director at Kenrick Lennon Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Deacon Keating has led more than 400 workshops in areas of morality and spirituality and has authored numerous books, including The Way of Mystery, Listening for Truth, and Spiritual Fatherhood. The School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We're reflecting on the series of Wednesday audiences that Pope Benedict XVI has offered for our reflection on prayer. He brings forth in this particular reflection the image of Jacob, and in particular, Jacob struggling, wrestling with the angel. This image uh, is just filled with spiritual truth and also images that we can reflect upon to, to bring our prayer more more in line with the truth and the depths of what communion with God is all about. So it's good to spend some time with this reading on our own and and here in the few minutes that we have. The first image that comes uh, to the fore in Benedict's address is the whole mystery of the name and what our names mean. And of course, Jacob's name meant uh, the one who usurps another's position or the one who deceives another to take and to, to gain an unmerited gift. And uh, by the end of the story of Jacob, he has been given a new name, Israel, which means God is victorious. And so there's this major transformation that happens in the very substance of Jacob, which is he has moved from a taker to one has, who has totally relied upon God's power uh, to bring victory. And this uh, changing of the name which is most important, happens in struggle. But before we get there, the key movement of the story is that uh, we have to let God ask us who we are. The uh, struggle that Jacob had with the stranger, which later was revealed to be a divine being, the struggle that Jacob had with this stranger was centered around this important question that he at first refused to answer. Who are you? In our prayer life in the very beginning, God very gently is moving all of us toward this question. And our prayer is only going to be fruitful if we surrender and abandon ourselves to the question, Who are you? And once we tell God our name, then God can begin to transfigure that name, or in other words, our persons, to be more in line with his will, his love, his power. Most people, when they pray, at least in the very beginning, will keep at a distance from God, which is quite normal, because if you look at human relationships, it's the same. We don't immediately reveal all to one another. When we first meet a person, usually we stay on very safe ground. We'll probably ask a person what they do for a living, which is objective and public. If you notice, we never really ask, how's your relationship with your spouse going, is the first question. We stay objective, distant. And a lot of us do that with God, too, in the beginning stages of our prayer, which is fine. 
But eventually, we've got to begin the wrestling match. We've got to begin the struggle. And the struggle is just God's love trying to evince from us our true names, what our real hearts are about, what's going on in the depths of our soul. And in the struggle, which is both a coming close of God in love and our resisting that love, in that struggle is born an incredible bond between ourselves and God. We actually go through an adventure together, which seals our commitment to one another, which gives us a memory that we can go back to over and over again, which actually gives us a companionship with God. If we are truly trying to pray, then we are going on this adventure, this struggle, this wrestling with God. And in that wrestling and adventure, we bond ourselves to one another. We adhere to one another. And it's all about God coaxing our true identity out of us and our yielding that identity to his love. And this becomes the, the core meditation for Benedict in this address on prayer. Basically, he's trying to ask people, will you let God ask you who you are? Or will you resist and stay isolated? In this account... Jacob, his name means literally deceiver. And we know the story in a way where he has deceived his father and claimed an inheritance from his brother Esau, as well as a number of other instances. So he comes before this being and they wrestle. And it's a quite an encounter. Actually, the way that it's been described is that this being is actually just holding Jacob, and Jacob is struggling to get out of the grip. And again, another metaphor for the relationship with God, in that if we would just yield, if we would just abandon, if we would just surrender. I believe Rembrandt has a beautiful picture of this painting of this incident in Scripture, where he shows the angel almost cradling Jacob in his arms and Jacob pushing against him. But the image is almost like if Jacob would just relax, it would all be over. So too with our relationship and our communion with God. We keep running. We keep dodging God. We keep excusing ourselves from God. Uh, We keep rationalizing why we have no time for God. And in all of that is the wrestling and the struggle, the excusing, the dodging, the rationalizing. Uh, That's what we mean spiritually by the struggle. We are uh, not just letting God have us. We are continually tight and resisting. And in this wrestling, at one point, it's noted that the angel wounds Jacob. And this is a very powerful symbol, not only spiritually, but psychologically. The symbol of the wound has been... um, you know, obviously all the way back to Scripture and beyond, what is this opening of the self that in spiritual life and in psychological life symbolizes for us an entryway into uh, vulnerability? And when the angel wounds Jacob, basically what the, uh, the symbol is is that God is affecting, God is deeply affecting us 
by his wanting to know who we are, by his love for us. And it's his love that's wounding us. It's his concern and it's his fascination with us that's wounding us. And if we would just stop wrestling and wiggling around, and if we would just stay still, we would actually receive everything that we're looking for, which is his entry into our being. And as he enters into our being, he transfigures us, which of course is the symbol of the name change from Jacob to Israel. And God is victorious. God wins the struggle if we simply allow him to love us and cause that wound within us. In this struggle, Jacob has to reveal his name. That is the sign of the victory in this battle. He has to give his name. He has to say it. How do we do that? I mean, of course, we're not talking about the name that our parents gave us. We're talking about what exactly are we? Well, the name, the, the name that we are to yield up to God is the core of our being, our heart. Catechism calls the heart the place of decision, the center, the very core of a person. And so when the angel asks Jacob, you know, who he, who he is, he's basically asking for the core of Jacob's being. And this is what all love asks. All love asks for the very core and the center of the beloved. And so when, the God, when God is asking for the name, he's asking for you. This is why at the beginning, let's say the sacrament of baptism, the very first question, what name do you give this child? In other words, give God power over this child. Yield the name. Tell us the name. If the parents don't say the name, or if the individual is being baptized doesn't say the name, well, then the sacrament can't go forward. Because we have to yield the core and the heart of the person over to God, over to God's power, so that God can do what? Threaten them? Hurt them? No. So that God can love them, affirm them, and use his power in this way, so that God can transfigure them, convert them, engrace them. Now, as we grow older, as we appropriate our baptisms, a lot of times that uh, movement of allowing God in feels like Jacob wrestling the angel because we've grown very accustomed to uh, movements of original sin, uh, making decisions toward the ease of sin. And so when love comes close, we want to protect our, our, our life, which has become defined by choosing sin. And God is, is continually asking our real name. So there's a struggle there. Do you want to live with me? Or do you want to live in the ease of destruction? The ease of destruction, which is sin. And we wrestle with him on that. I don't know, Lord. Who are you? What are you offering? There's like a bargaining going on. Uh, You're offering only promises. Right now I've got the pleasure of the seven deadly sins. And we wrestle back and forth. And then God eventually, uh, perhaps the lesson is, if we stay in the wrestling match long enough, eventually God wounds us. As we noted before, something breaks, something moves, and we unveil an opening so that his love can enter. And in that weakness, 
we surrender and abandon ourselves and we no longer are wrestling. We no longer say it's the pleasure of the seven deadly sins versus God. In the end, we just basically say, uh, it's over, it is finished. Into your hands, I abandon uh, my soul. And, uh, and that, of course, is the movement of Christ upon the cross. And it's the movement of all people who pray. When the struggle, when the wrestling is finally over, into your hands I commend my spirit. It's over. And uh, we receive new life, happiness, peace. We'll return in just a moment to The School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. We now return to The School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating. We're extraordinarily blessed, aren't we? Unlike Jacob, we have Christ. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So in that struggle, we're 
if we unite with him, it's as he cries out to the Father and we reveal our name, we're not alone. No, I mean, now when we struggle with sin, when we struggle with the resistance, for those of us who are baptized, we have an interior inhabitant who is working for us. He's using all the power of love to get us to understand that what might appear to be good and attractive is only passing. It's only a shining burst of aluminum catching the sun. It's, it's not really substantive. And if we would just listen to a conscience that has been informed by the indwelling spirit, the indwelling mystery of Jesus loving the church, if we would only listen to that conscience, we would realize that the external temptations to continue to push God away is counterproductive to our own happiness. Uh, Satan always lies that his way is happiness. But we know now from Jesus dwelling within us, we know from the Paschal Mystery, we know from our study of Scripture and the doctrines of the Church, that the way to happiness is through the death of the self, not the preservation of the self, the yielding of the self, the surrendering of the self. The way to life is through the cross. So Jacob is wrestling, Jesus is wrestling. Jacob is wrestling the angel. Jesus is wrestling evil on the cross. And he had opened up a new way for us to come to happiness. And the new way is to entrust ourselves to his way. And his way is to defeat evil with love. And he keeps calling us into this love. And he tries to dissuade us and dissipate our fascination with evil by this wrestling match of love that he enters into with us hoping to catch our, our weak point so that he can see us and we will repent so that he is, his eyes will meet our eyes and we will repent like Peter did when the cock crowed. He's hoping to meet our eyes with his eyes and then the wrestling match is over and then we yield and then the whole mystery of prayer is opened up to us as the choice to stay in the presence. Prayer becomes my choice in grace to stay in the presence, to stay in communion with the one who has so loved me. What does this struggle look like for the modern man? This man will spend hours in front of the television, continue to escape into sports, continue to escape into work, continue to refrain from entering deeper into his relationship with his wife or his children. In other words, he will continue to choose isolated pleasure, isolated usefulness, isolated self-interest to the detriment of communion. So what the wrestling looks like is, will you yield to your identity basically being the deepest part of me is another? Or will you continue to live in the fantasy that the deepest part of me is me. And my interest reigns supreme. And so as grace calls to this man in these little tiny ways, which we may call mundane, do I watch too much TV? Do I spend too much time with, with friends in, in superficial activities? Do I refrain from deeper intimacy with my wife and, and family? These superficial callings become then for the man the battleground the boxing ring, 
And you literally see in some of these men's lives that it becomes uh, a place of violent struggle. They'll uh, blow up in anger at their wife or their child. They'll blow up in anger at their boss. They'll reject friends because the friends no longer want to play the way that they used to play. And there'll be lots of anger in this man's heart. And the anger is he's refusing to let the ego die and to mature and to grow up and to entrust that ego to Jesus. And so he chooses to stay in the struggle when the struggle itself should be long past. And he should begin to simply rest and let Jesus love him. For a Catholic, could it be said that that actual giving over of the false name can occur in confession and reconciliation? Definitely, that's the sacramental way of the wrestling to end. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And here's all my names that I've hidden behind. I'm a glutton. I'm angry. I'm uh, slothful. I'm lustful. These are all my names. But I would like now to receive my real name from God. And of course, Jesus um, certainly complies joyfully with that. And in all sacrament of reconciliation experiences, our real name is given to us as the beloved who is forgiven, the beloved who has received mercy. And so that's our true name. We are loved nothings. We are the ones who have sinned, but have still been loved even in the sinning. God has found us even in the sinning, and that's the great story of salvation. Again, the wrestling match, as we, we choose our sin and God finds us in our sin, he comes right into the wounds, comes right into the rejection, and he stays and he talks and he communes with us by love until we are broken, and then we come home like the prodigal son, and we say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and the Lord loves us and gives us a new name. So institutionally, the Sacrament of Reconciliation is a powerful symbol of that. Baptism is a powerful symbol of that. To keep our new name alive, the celebration of the Mass and participation in the Mass is what keeps our new name alive. We keep receiving the love of God every time we receive Holy Communion, and our name gets stronger. Our name as the Beloved, our name as the one who is forgiven, but is still loved. All these names, these positive names, are given to us and then sustained through Holy Communion. The wound that's inflicted, could it be said that it's a wound of love? Yes, it's positive. I mean, the, when we think of wound, we always think of something negative. You know, I received a wound, therefore I go to the hospital. This wound is very positive. It is almost a humanizing of a person who has been petrified. It's an opening of the person's heart to receive. So the wound that uh, Jacob received and became Israel in is very much like the wound that we need to receive from God. And the wound is to end the petrification, the hardening of the self, enclosed only in upon the self. makes one supple. After the wrestling is over, one is more supple. One is more vulnerable to receive And so spiritually, when we talk about a wound, we talk about something very positive, almost as if you would say, keep praying until the Lord's love wounds you, until you feel open. That's very crucial. Until we feel open, a lot of times our prayer is simply 
saying words like a man fumbling in his pocket to find his key. Not really fruitful. And we spend a lot of time fumbling, looking for the key by using words. And what we need to do is continue to stay in the wrestling match between our fascination with sin and Jesus' call to change. But we're staying in the wrestling match hoping that something will break, that something will open in us, and we will be able to receive the new name. That's our goal in prayer. Lord, give me my new name and help me to stay with you until it's fully received. So by the very nature of this reflection, are we to really understand that if prayer is easy, then we're not praying? At one level, we're to understand it that way. Uh, Usually when we say prayer is easy, I think what we mean is prayer has been accomplished and now it's over. So I did my duty. But just like with all human relationships, uh, when the ego is dying, no relationship is easy because we are continually trying to preserve that which is the very impediment to our happiness. And that's what we do with prayer too. We continually try to preserve that which is the impediment of my happiness, which is, well, I'll just stay on the surface here. I'll do my duty. I'll give myself in a halfway, but I certainly don't want to be affected. I certainly don't want that person over there, be it God or my wife. I don't want them to really change me. And if we stay on that level, of course, prayer will seem easy, just like a marriage seems easy where nothing is asked of the spouse, where there's no conversion that's called upon. It just seems like I continue my life the way I've always lived it. My marriage is easy. Of course it's easy. Uh, You're not growing in love. And the same with our prayer life. We don't naturally uh, want to enter prayer looking for a fight. But when you enter prayer, the fight will come to you because the ego is so strong and the will is so bent uh, that the fight will come to you even if you're not looking for it because God is looking for you. And for God to find you, he must kill the fat ego. I'm going to offer something that may be on the verge of being judgmental or maybe a tad scandalous for me to even say this, but there have been moments where I've encountered people at adoration, for example, doing their hour before the Lord, and they have a newspaper with them, or they have books that they're studying, or they're doing something. And and I don't mean to imply that that's necessarily bad, but is it necessarily good? Well, on one level, it could be like, you know, watching television together as a family, where you're together, but you're not one. That certainly wouldn't really deepen the bonds of a family. To be in the presence of your family, but not paying attention to your family. Now, one of the reasons people watch television together is because perhaps they don't know how to communicate, or they feel they've run out of things to say. Couples, for instance, will separate. One will have his own television, the other will have her television. And if there's no real communication going on in the marriage, then of course that's a death knell. Obviously, these people could have very deep and sincere conversation at other points of the day, and now they're just, you know, simply choosing to watch different television shows. But in this case of of prayer, is the book, is the newspaper, 
a sign that, well, I tried to communicate, but I became afraid that I couldn't share all my thoughts, feelings, and desires with God. I didn't know how to do it. So I know now I'm supposed to be with him, but I don't know what to do when I'm with him. And so on one level, we can say, well, that person's in the right place geographically, but now they need a spiritual director. Now they need a good pastor. Now they need someone who knows how to pray to teach them that it's not only good to be in the presence of God, prayer comes to its full fruit when the interior of the heart is revealed to God. How do I tell God my thoughts, my feelings, and my desires? And of course, that's the work of spiritual direction and good pastor. Any final thoughts? Just to stay in the wrestling match. Uh, Again, an analogy of marriage is a lot of times we have to go through a lot of difficult times uh, when two people, particularly in our age, when people get married so much later, And they're very much set in their ways in their late 20s, early 30s when they get married. And unless they stay in the wrestling match, which is ordered toward communion, uh, they'll give up too soon because their ways of being an isolated single person, they'll easily revert back to. And they'll throw in the towel much too soon. Wrestling, struggling, is a very important part of love. You cannot artificially surrender and abandon. You must go through the pain of the struggle and the surrender until the ego has been finally wounded. The ego has finally surrendered and and given up that it's not important for me to live anymore. It's important for me to know you. That's the secret of love and the secret of prayer when we get to that point. It's not important that I live anymore. It's important that I get to know you. So, Lord, let me know you. You've been listening to The School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it on the free Discerning Hearts app, or on your favorite podcast streaming platform. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The School of Prayer, Reflections on the Teachings of Pope Benedict XVI with Deacon James Keating.